Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your Son. That you are not hiding. That you haven't left us to guess about who you are, but you have showed us and told us in the words of the Scriptures. Would your Holy Spirit now come on each and every one of us in this room, me included, and open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive the goodness of who you are and what you have for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last weekend... We had our yearly IAC staff epiphany season party. And you might think that's a little odd, right? Aren't you supposed to do like Christmas parties, winter parties in December, right? But we know how crazy December is. We also know that all those like Christmas parties you guys are having are actually an advent, like you're out of season. So we're like, we'll just move it to a different out of season, right? We shift the classic Christmas party to January and have a white elephant gift exchange where we re-gift ridiculous things we all receive for Christmas and we want to get them out of the house, right? But before we swap weird gifts, we feast. This year we had a soup theme. We had gumbo from scratch from our Louisiana-born and bred church planting apprentice, Chase. We had cheese dip from our admin, Shauna, that made your eyes roll back in your head. I mean, it was so darn good. There were way too many desserts. It was, it was glorious and joyous and amazing. And if hearing all that makes you think, man, like, I want some of that cheese dip. I want to join staff at IEC. We are currently hiring for a facilities coordinator. <laughs> so please check out the job description at springsisc.org slash jobs. And next year, that cheese dip can be yours. <laughs> now, you're toying with that idea right now. Because life as it was meant to be. The kind of life we were made for, life in the kingdom of God under the reign of our good and kind and generous king, is a life of feasting. We're going to see that today as we spend another week in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. We heard it read in the Gospels. It's the, it's the focus of our Epiphany sermons uh, this year, specifically focusing um, today not on a flesh and blood character, but on the bread on the fish, on the food itself. We're going to look at this story through the lens of the food because food gives us a glimpse into the heart of the gospel, gives us a glimpse of who God is and who we are, even from the opening chapter of the Bible. Because the feeding of the 5,000 is not the first time that God feeds people. It says in Genesis 1, we heard it read, right after creating Adam and Eve, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. In Genesis 9, that gift expands out to all the animals. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Now, in those seemingly like mundane sentences that we just sort of take for granted, well, yeah, we, we can eat things we discover a few crucial things. One is that as creatures, as created beings, we are hungry, we are dependent, we are empty, unless we are filled. And that's not a glitch in the system. That's not something that emerged in the world because of sin or, or brokenness or evil. It's part of our design. It is God that made us hungry. So that he could fill that hunger. 
so that he could give us all of this glorious creation as gift to sustain us and empower us to work with him in this world. But not just as fuel, but also as feast. There's a radical abundance in this offering. Every seed-bearing plant, everything that lives and moves. It's emphasized in both. There's a radical generosity in this invitation. This is not just sustenance. This is abundance. This is not just adequacy. This This is overwhelm in a positive sense. But it's not only abundance that makes a feast, is it? How many of us have endured a miserable family dinner where the food is piled high, but the reason for the misery is somewhere else? How many of us have found ourselves utterly bereft because there's nothing to eat, but the fridge is full of food? There's nothing to watch even though there's like infinite options. What makes a feast a feast is gratitude, joy, thankfulness for the gifts themselves and those who we get to consume them with. This is where Adam and Eve failed. They saw the abundance all around them, saw the everything, and wanted that one thing that wasn't given as gift. They looked at this tiny little bit of lack so long that they lost sight of the abundance of the gifts and therefore lost sight of the giver. It's this thankfulness, this gratitude that makes it possible to feast truly even when it doesn't seem like there's enough, even when there isn't gumbo and cheese dip to go around. We see this in the feeding of the 5,000, right? Jesus surveys the crowd that day, and as he does, he sees people who are figuratively and literally empty, and they need to be filled. He sees hungry bellies and famished souls, and he sees five loaves and two fish. They're just not enough, which is what life often feels like east of Eden. Because of sin, because of the brokenness of the world, it often does not feel like there's enough. That abundance of Eden feels like super far away. It's why when you ask people or people ask you, like, what do you need? The answer often starts with more. More money, more time, more like whatever. But Jesus, in the midst of that lack, doesn't forget that it's all gift all the way down. That even what we have that feels like it's too little is gift. That even the existence of bread and fish are miraculous. It's not as if, friends, there's this base level of existence that comes naturally and then it's God's job to like top us off and get us to abundance. It's all gift, all the way down, even the stuff that seems like it makes up not enough. So what does Jesus do? He takes the bread in his hands receiving it as gift from a child. More on that child next week. And then he thanks God for it. He doesn't bless the food per se. He blesses God for the food, for the wonder of this provision, even though it seems so minuscule in the moment, even though it seems like absolutely not enough. Every now and again, we get blown away by abundance. 
But usually feasting in this broken world means saying thank you, expressing gratitude to the creator of all things for what is, even in the midst of a huge sea of what isn't. Feasting is returning to the reality that everything is gift. And yes, we can and should be honest about all that's missing. We can and should be honest about all the lack, but to speak only about the lack is dishonest. It is lying by omission. True honesty means that we also have to talk about all that is, that we also can give thanks for all that we have. There's freedom in that. But even as the Spirit grows that gratitude within us for the things of this world from the one who made the world, we're still going to find a lack. Even in the midst of any abundance that might come, we're still going to find that created things, yes, they fill our bellies, but they cannot fully feed our souls. No amount of bread and fish can free us from guilt and shame. No amount of bread and fish can give us a sense of purpose or give us the ability to receive our belovedness or give us a hope beyond this life at all. I was reminded of that at the Epiphany party when, when, when just an hour and a half before I was called to the bedside of someone who was beginning to transition out of this world. It was so strange to go from that bedside and then back to a party. Because if you try to fill up your life with created things, if that is your hope, even if you're grateful for them, the deepest, most central part of us will not be sustained. Uh, it has no answer for that kind of need. Because the true significance of food or any other created thing is not the gift itself. At Christmas time, growing up, we didn't keep our parents around so that we could get gifts. The order's reversed. The gift is simply a reflection of the heart of the giver. The gift of a thing is meant to point us to the gift of the person behind that thing. So, in the biblical story, it's not just food that is our feast, it is God himself that is offering to be our feast. Right? We see this when Jesus says in the Gospel of John, in that Gospel's version of the feeding of the 5,000, right afterwards he says, I am the bread of life. Yeah, I know, we got bread over here, but like, you thought that was good. I am the bread of life. We see this when Jesus sits down at his final feast with his disciples. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. In those moments, food goes from being a gift to being a sign of the gift. In those moments, we see God's true intention, that he would be our food, that he would be our sustenance and abundance, that he would be our life. Now, I know that that sounds like a nice like preacher's phrase. What does it mean? What does that look like? 
we know that humans don't just live off food. We live off goodness and mercy and hope and love and purpose and connection and meaning. Without those things, yeah, we can stay alive, but we're not fully alive. Without those things, we become less than fully human. God gives all those other gifts to us and also himself as that kind of food. Food that will enter us and fill us and satisfy us like nothing in creation can enter and fill and satisfy us. What I'm describing is this, is this transformation of how we see everything in the world. When we start believing in God or have an inkling of believing in God, early in the journey, we can often think of him as a means to an end. Right? Someone we ask to give us things that fill our lack. We ask God to give us food, give us healing, give us relationships, give us this, give us that within this world. And he enjoys it when we ask him for those things because he loves providing them for us. But if we stop there, we've stopped short because God is not a means to some other end. He is the end. Everything here, all those gifts that we give just point and lead back to him, the giver of all things. There's this, this revolution that happens in our souls. We don't just go to God for food, but our food starts to draw us towards God. When we see any beautiful created thing, any wonderful thing, and it begins to lift our souls to the one who gave it to us. And that way, every meal becomes like a gospel illustration it's a picture of the good news that God made us hungry for him and he has given us himself to fill that hunger. Purely as gift. Gift freely given. Not because we earned it or deserved it, just because he wanted to at no cost whatsoever to us. But of course, there is always a cost to a feast. We often think of the cost of the feast as what's on the price tag, right? The cost to the one consuming the feast. There are no price tags like that with God. We don't have to pay in cash or in good works or anything like that. The primary cost of the feast is the cost to the one who is consumed. Because the cost of a feast is always life itself to the food. Whenever we talk about food, what, what it's easy to forget is that something has to die for us to live. Even if it's just plants, something has to die so that we might live. Our abundance depends on the sacrifice of other living things. It's interesting to me the way the feeding of the 5,000 is described in Mark's gospel. There are these four verbs that, that, that he uses to describe what Jesus does. He takes the bread. He blesses and thanks God for the bread. And then he breaks the bread so that he can give the bread. The breaking is a detail that feels like a little extra. Right? Well, yeah, of course, you've got to like break it to divvy it up. But it's pointed out, not just as a pragmatic motion, it's pointed out as a sign that life 
can only come from death, that this crowd can only be filled, that the feast can only multiply if something is broken on their behalf. And that takes on a whole new dimension when Jesus says, I am the bread. Right? When at the Last Supper, the Lord Jesus says, this is my body. Jesus being our bread, being our food, means that he too must be broken. That he too must die so that we might live. This is what we remember each and every week as we come to this table. We tell this story again and again. We take bread. We grasp it in our hands because Jesus was grasped in the love of his Father. We bless God. We thank God for the bread because Jesus gave thanks to God for all that the Father had given him. He blessed and worshiped God more fully than anyone ever has or ever will before or since. And then we break the bread. It's the only moment in the whole liturgy where, where silence is prescribed. We break the bread to remember that Christ was broken for us. Broken so that he might be given for the life of the world. Broken once so that we might be put back together. Again and again and again. If being in the kingdom of God means feasting on God, then each and every Sunday we are eating our way into the kingdom. We are tasting more and more of God's goodness, tasting more and more through those gifts of bread and wine, the greatest gift he offers his very self. Which, of course, brings us back to gratitude. Right? Overwhelming joy that this is who our God is. He's not some tyrant on a throne shaking his finger at us. He's not some distant, far-off clockmaker who spun the world up and then let it go. He is a God who gives himself to be consumed by us. A God who loves us enough to be broken for us so that we might be put back together. And not just put back together, filled to overflowing. Like at the feeding of the 5,000, where there was enough for all and then more than enough, extra. The abundance at the feeding is not just that Jesus can make more than enough stuff for our bellies. He can. The significance of, of, of the abundance is that he is more than enough to conquer hunger and lack and need and death in body and in soul. And that he can even fill us so that we can join him in his work. See, here's the amazing thing about food. When we eat it, it becomes part of us. Think about that. Literally, the atoms of the food like become our atoms. We are what we eat. Eating changes us, right? We become like the things we eat. If we eat fat, we get fat. If we eat healthy, we become healthy. So if we eat the feast, we will become feast. Hear this. If we eat the feast, we will become feast. If we receive abundance, we become abundance for others. At that Last Supper, Jesus says that the bread is his body. 
But what else do the scriptures say is the body of Christ? What else? Us. The scriptures say that we are the body of Christ, which means that we also become the bread. We also become the feast. It is not just Jesus that has been taken, blessed, and broken so that he may be given. When we feast on him, we become taken, blessed, broken, and given. We are taken into his grip and claimed as his own. We are blessed with the love of the Father, given a hope and a future and a meaning and all the rest of the abundance that comes with that. And we are also broken so that we might be given. So that we might become the food for the life of the world. So that we might give ourselves to be consumed by others for their sustenance and abundance so that they might live. Now I know that like turns everything upside down, right? We spend most of our lives, we spent most of this sermon trying to be filled, right? Yearning not to be empty, trying to find anything that will satisfy us. It's why so many of us love Jesus so, so much. We know his love and mercy and goodness do satisfy. But that satisfaction gives us the strength and the courage and the trust to be broken for the sake of others so that they might live as we have lived. Now, I know that some of us in this room today already feel like super broken completely and totally broken just by the hard things that happen in life. Friends, there's good news here. There is good news that Christ takes that brokenness, that he grasps it, he blesses it, and he gives it for the good of others. What you might think disqualifies you is actually one of the greatest gifts you offer to the world. Henry Nouwen talks about this in the language of the wounded healer, that it is only out of our wounds that we have something to give, something to offer others in their wounds. In our confirmation process at IAC, we regularly talk about how the places in our own journeys that are the most painful, that we most like often don't want to pay attention to, end up becoming the places God uses us most clearly in healing. Because it is at the place of our breaking that we are most prepared to be given. It is in the place of your wounding that you are most qualified to bring healing. Take heart. Now, others of us in the room don't carry around that same sense of being broken by the world or, or, or our sin or the evil of others. We, we feel like we've got everything going okay, like we're hanging in there, heads are above water, and, and, and that breaking... Sounds like a threat. It sounds like something we'd rather not have happen to us. We'd rather not have our comfort broken, our self-assurance broken, our familiarity broken. We'd rather not take risks or be drawn into dangerous places. We'd rather not have gifts which we love taken away from us. But this is part of what it means to be in the people of God. 
Scripture and church history have lots of ways to talk about this, lots of examples. God regularly sends people into the wilderness. Right? That's part of the language that Chase talked about on New Year's Eve, scary and dangerous places to prepare them to serve others. In church history, many have talked about these seasons of the dark night of the soul where God's gifts seem to be absent, so we learn to rely on the giver instead of just the giver's gifts. The early martyrs even had this language. They, they, they asked God that they would become bread for the lions in the arena, that they would be made into Eucharist so others might see their sacrifice and be saved from that, from that violent uh, regime, from that violent culture. It is the regular, consistent story of the people of God, that people are sent from their families and communities, sent into difficult situations, invited into the lives of the broken and lost, at great cost to themselves, released to the hungry crowds, as it were. And all that can feel like breaking. But friends, nothing that's really worth doing avoids that. Things that we find the most valuable in life, like long-term friendships, the journey of parenting or caring for parents, like meaningful vocation and work, it all requires breaking. I've heard some say that we find our vocation, we find that work that God gives us to do in the world by simply chasing what we love, discovering what you enjoy and are good at, and then going at that. In the kingdom, that is too shallow because it costs you nothing. Beware of anything or anyone that claims to change the world at no cost to you. Products and politicians will drown you in those lies. We find our vocation, yes, by chasing down what we love, and we define that as what we are willing to die for. What we love so much that we'll sacrifice ourselves to see it come into being. That is your vocation. That is the work that God has given you to do. Because this is who we are as the people of God. And we're practicing this all the time. Walk through the service outline in your bulletin. Think about each section. There's a breaking everywhere. Confession requires a breaking of pride. Just asking for prayer from the prayer ministers requires a breaking of self-assurance. Just, just gathering with the people of God at all requires breaking sleep. You can look through all our ministries here at IC, like mentoring students at a low-income school like Queen Palmer Elementary. It's time you don't feel like you have. It's often disheartening and seems like a little payoff in the short term. Walking with refugees is time-intensive and completely overwhelming, the, the, the lack there. Church planting is perhaps the clearest example of this. In church planting, we are intentionally, on purpose, breaking the body of Christ. That's hard. We've seen it be hard in the San Luis Valley with Restoration Anglican and Deacon Paula. We're coming up on a bigger breaking in September when Eric Chesney's church plant goes out, and it's going to be hard. I'm going to talk about that more at the annual meeting tonight. But church, this is the only way life comes to the world. It's the only way it's ever come to the world. Breaking is the only path to giving for food, for Jesus, for us. 
giving ourselves to be the feast is the only way that the world can be filled. And ultimately, the only way that we are actually filled. Because it's tempting to stop at receiving God's gifts, stop at receiving the good news of what he's done for us because it leaves us in this place of safety and fullness, right? Giving ourselves to be broken for others sounds like losing all that we just gained in Christ. But what happens in the feeding of the 5,000 to the bread? What happens to the bread? As it is given to be consumed, it just multiplies. As it is given away to be destroyed, more is created. This is the miracle that the bread and fish that are taken, blessed, broken, and given are not lost. They come back greater. This is the miracle that the body of Jesus, the physical body of Jesus, taken, blessed, broken in death, given for us, is raised in resurrection life, never to die again. This is the miracle that that we, taken, blessed, broken, and given, find our life in giving others life. We taste the joy of the feast as we become the feast. So church, come and die so that you might live. Let's pray. Father, I confess in myself just a fear. A fear of being broken in ways more than I already am. I confess a despair that the ways I already feel broken may not be able to be fixed. And what use can that be? Jesus, would you come and take us in your grip? Would you bless us with the abundance of blessings that you have come to give us so that we might trust you to be broken and given for the sake of others? so that we might know that even what feels hard is the path of life. Life overwhelming, life abundant, life beyond. Anything else we might experience. Amen.